Well, hey, everybody. It's good to see you out here, everybody who made it in this space. And hi to everybody out there who's watching online. So glad that you're joining us as well, wherever you may be. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to welcome you. We are in week number 12 already of our year-long journey in the Bible. God's story from beginning to end. We're already a quarter of the way done, people. Can you believe that? That's kind of crazy to think about, week number 12. Uh, so before we get to that, though, uh, just really quick, uh, last week I talked about Easter coming up really soon, and so I just want to put this really quick. I said I would update you, so uh, just something to put on your calendars. On Good Friday, uh, just plan to be here at 7 o'clock. We're going to have a Good Friday service where uh, we're going to take communion and, and just reflect on our sin and, and Jesus' death on the cross. And then on Easter Sunday, uh, we're going to celebrate the resurrection together. We're going to do a three services, 8.30, 10, and 11.30. And, and what we're asking, what we, we've been asking is we need about 500 people or really just a couple hundred families to commit to come into the 8.30 service to try to balance out all three services. All three services are going to be the exact same family ministries going on and all that. So uh, if you could, if you could commit, they're also on your outlines right there. Uh, scan that code if you can make a commitment to come at 8.30, we're about a quarter of the way there, third of the way there, something like that. So if you can make a commitment to come to 8.30, sign up for that. That would be fantastic. Uh, and we will, man, I can't wait. Easter's coming soon. I can't wait to celebrate the resurrection with you all. Okay, well, let's get to it. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those and open them up to Numbers chapter 10. Numbers chapter 10. So last week, here's where we left off. We left off uh, in God's story at the base of the mountain of Sinai, Mount Sinai, where God uh, gave the people the Ten Commandments. And so we looked at those last week. We looked at why the Ten Commandments were so important to them. And so to us today that, that two big reasons. One is that the Ten Commandments really were a confirmation of the relationship that God already had, not a condition in order to get in there. Uh, and the big idea there is they, they didn't behave their way into a relationship with God and they couldn't behave their way out. And, and we also looked at the idea of this is that they, why they needed them so badly. They really did need some guidelines. They needed um, some civil law and some things in order in their community uh, as they were preparing themselves, they were getting ready to go to this promised land that God had promised them. So they were getting ready for that, a land flowing with milk and honey. And so this is kind of where we're catching up uh, with God's people in the story. So we're gonna pick this up. Hopefully you found your way there to Numbers 10. And we're gonna pick this up in verse 11. So here's what it says. It says this. On the 20th day of the second month of the second year, the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle of the covenant law. Then the Israelites set out from the desert of Sinai and traveled from place to place until the cloud came to rest in the desert of Paran. All right, so now we got kind of a timeline here. We have a timeline. So what we're seeing is we are now two years into the Exodus from Egypt, and they were at the base of Mount Sinai for just about a year, around a year, okay? So they were there for a little while. And so what we're seeing right here is actually the first big move uh, that they've made in a while. And so they're on their way. What we see is they're on their way to Canaan, uh, which is the land that God is gonna give them, okay? And, and on their way, they run into a bunch of problems and they complain a lot, which we talked about last week. That's just kind of par for the course of these people. And you, what you see though is if you read, Moses gets kind of fired up at him. It's actually great. And he gets so ticked off. You can read this for yourself. that he goes to God and he says, God, if this is the way it's gonna be, just kill me now. He literally said, write this down, numbers 
11, 15 is where he says, he literally said, just take me. Take me. That's how bad this was for him. He goes, just kill me. Uh, but, you know, God said, just calm, stop, just stop whining. And he took care of it. Everything was fine. Uh, so that was chapter 11. And then in chapter 12, who do we see come back? We see Miriam come back. That's a tambourine lady from last week. She didn't have her tambourine, though. Uh, what she ends up doing, she actually uh, has a beef against Moses. And she comes forward and says, Moses, I don't think you're a good leader. And Moses tells God, and God strikes her with leprosy. Stick that in your tambourine, Miriam. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just getting us caught up, getting us caught up on what's happening. This is the happenings going on, okay? Uh, this is it. But they're still making their way. They're still kind of trekking to the promised land. So that's chapter 12. Uh, and then they finally get to the doorstep of Canaan. And so now uh, we're in chapter 13. If you want to flip there, we're going to read a little bit. Chapter 13, and here's what it says in verse 1. So, all right. So the Lord said to Moses, hey, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And so Moses says, okay, and, and, and you can read there, he gets these guys together and kind of lists who goes. And so they go out uh, and then they come back. We're gonna pick, pick up here later on verse 27. It says, all right, so they come back and here's what they said. It says, they gave Moses account. Hey, we went in the land, which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. So great report. Great. Hey, hey, turns out this is exactly what God said it would be. And so they're like, yeah, hooray, let's go. Wait a minute. That's not, they're not done talking. Uh, so they keep going. So yeah, it flows with milk and honey. Next verse, it says, but the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The, Am the Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Can Canaanites live there in the sea along the Jordan. And, and so then Caleb, one of the guys who went, one of the 10, he silenced them before Moses said, hey, wait, we should go up and take possession of the land for we could certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they explored. And here's what they said. They said, hey, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. Now, if you remember, we talked about the Nephilim uh, in week two uh, or week three. And those were like the giants that exist. So they're saying, we saw these giants there. And it says, and it kind of confirms, the descendants of Anak came from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them, by the way. So, so here's what happens. God says, send some guys to check out the land that I gave you. Already a done deal, it's your land. Now, it's important to see what God didn't say to them. He didn't say, hey, go assess a battle for me. He didn't say, hey, go see who's gonna oppose you. He didn't say any of that. He said, go check out what I'm about to give you. And so they go out and they come back and all but one dude say, we can't go in there. We, can't, we would get pulverized. In fact, they say they would, the people there would devour us. And here's what, here's what was going on. These leaders of the groups, these 10, like the, the guys who went, they, they were letting what they saw take over what God said was gonna already happen. They were letting what they saw take over God's promise 
of what would happen. And so here's what they do. They start spreading rumors. They start spreading rumors and bad reports and it gets to get everybody on their side and everybody, it works. It works. And, and so what then took over for the people is what can still paralyze us today, which is fear. We're gonna talk about fear today. We're gonna talk about fear in God's story and how it is one of the most powerful detractors of our faith and God's call in our lives. And so let's set the table here before we get back into the story. Uh, we'll get into here in a second, but, uh, and talk about fear. Let's set the table about fear. So I started research looking into fear uh, and, I, and I found a couple of interesting things about fear. So one of the things that I found very interesting about fear is, I don't know if you knew this, but they did a study on this. Did you know that studies show that as babies, there are only two natural fears that we all have as babies. Did you know that? So the first one, do you know what the first one is? The first fear that we have as babies is the fear of falling. Did you know that? Actually, I knew that. Like, I remember that as watching my two kids as babies. It's actually, so you see them fall asleep and they go like, they flail. And it would be hilarious. I would, now I feel really bad for laughing at them because they had a natural fear of falling. I'm so sorry. I feel like I need to apologize to them because I thought it was hilarious. Uh, but they, that, that's what happens. So they, there's a natural fear of falling as babies. That's one. Here's the other fear that we have as babies. It's the fear of loud noises. Did you know that? That's the, that's the second fear. I actually still have that one today. I don't know if some of you do, but I really do have that fear as well. It actually, uh, not too long ago, uh, during the week here, the fire alarm went off. There's a couple of us up here in the offices and the fire alarm was going off. We're like, what's going on? And uh, so here, here, just setting this up for me. So A, it was in the middle of the day. So I had daylight on my side. Two, there were a lot of people here in the office. So I had like that going for me, but I went down to see what was going on, see what was, because Chad wasn't here and Blair wasn't here. So I guess it was up to me, whatever. So anyways, I go down and I I was trying to find, so I went to the room where the alarm was going off to turn it off. Now, have you ever been in a small room with a loud alarm? Here's what happens with me. Apparently, there is an uncontrolled, terrifying yell that comes from me that I didn't know what happened. I was, I was yelling. I didn't know my voice went that high, everybody. Like, I was like, ah, like trying to shut it off. Those are, those are the only two fears that we have. Those are the only two fears that we are born with, falling and loud noises. But when we grow up, we collect all kinds of new ones, don't we, everybody? all kinds of new ones. So, so I just, here's what I want us to see with what we're dealing with when it comes to fear. Because here's the thing, here's the thing uh, that I know about every one of us. We all face it. We all face fear, but sometimes it's not such a bad thing. So if you're taking notes, go ahead and get those out there. We're gonna look at two sort of clarifying statements about fear. And here's the first one, that there are fears that are actually good. There, there are fears that are good. I mean, think about growing up. Right? Think about the experiences that you've had in your life uh, where there were some things that, that fear was not only like the logical response you should have, but it actually kept you out of trouble, right? There's some fear that did that. There, it was probably gotten you out of some really, really bad ideas as well. I won't go down that road with you, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Believe it or not, believe it or not, I was not always the upstanding citizen you see here today. I know that's shocking. <laughs> but I was, known, I was known early on to sort of run around with some unsavory people. I was not unsavory. I just ran around with them. You know what I'm saying? And, and there were situations where fear came in with the little sliver of common sense that I had to tell me not to do what they were about to do. And it actually helped me avoid certain situations involving a certain branch of un, uh, uniformed authorities. You know what I'm saying? Like, so fear, that fear played a good part in that in my life. So fear sometimes it's a good thing. It's a good thing. I'm glad that I had it back then. So, so sometimes fear is good. But here's a second one as well. So not only is it good, but, but there is also a fear that is harmful. 
There is a fear that isn't what God wants. There's a fear that, that isn't what helps us, and it's what God calls, he calls it something. He actually calls it a spirit of fear. So check out what he says here in 2 Timothy 1.7. This is what it says. It says that God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And so here's what this is saying. What this is saying is there is a fear where it's something different, where it's something different. It's not what God wants for you. And, and here's how I know where that's going and where you all know where that's going as well. Because as soon as I said there is a fear where it's something different, you went to that place, didn't you? You shook your head. You know exactly what I'm saying without even needing to explain it. There's a fear that does this, this doesn't play around with you. And it has an agenda. This fear's agenda isn't to protect you, but to consume you with anxiety and panic and to get you out of control. And here's the thing, we've all had it. Some at different levels and different volumes, but we've all had it and we all know what it is. And, and this is a fear that is not from our heavenly father and it can paralyze you in your life and it can absolutely just stamp you down in your faith. And that's what we wanna talk about today and take you down a path that's, that's not in your control. And, and here's the thing, there are a lot of ways, there are a lot of ways that we can allow that fear to take root in our lives. And so let's get back to the story. Not, there, there are a lot of ways, but in the story, here's what I, I want the story to reveal this to us. We're gonna see with God's people two ways in which they allow fear to take root with them, okay? So we're just gonna look at that. If you're taking notes, here's the first one that they allowed fear to take root with. Is this is that they forgot God's promise. They forgot God's promise. That's the first way that fear takes root for them. Now, we already read this, so if you're in your Bibles, go, let's go back to verse 29 and let's see something uh, and read it again. So again, the spies come back and they say, hey, these people are stronger than us, they're bigger, they're, they're gonna get defeated. Uh, and it says in verse 29, it says, hey, the Amalekites live in the Gev. And then they listed like all these other groups of people, okay? Now, here's what we need to see. This is really big to see, okay? This first group right here is not the first time that we've seen them come up. Did you know that? And this is really big to see. So if you're in your Bibles, flip back to Exodus 17. Go to, this is really big to see. Uh, and now again, as we flip back to Exodus 17, we gotta remember something before we get there. This was not like 40 years ago for them. This was like months ago, right? When we're flipping back, months ago. And so in Exodus 17, here's what's happening. They are fighting a battle with a group of people called, wait for it, the Amalekites. And they win, they win the battle. Now, here's what I want us to see because God says something after they defeat them in Exodus 17, uh, verse 14. Here's what he says. He says, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of the Amalek from under heaven. So what happened again, not 40 years ago, so that they were like, oh, wait. months ago, months and months ago, God says, write this down so you don't forget it. I will wipe the Amalekites off the face of the earth. And then again, here we go. Number 13, spies go, who do they see? The Amalekites. And God promised victory and they forgot the promise. They forgot what God said to write down as a permanent thing to forget. You know, one way, one way that we can allow fear to take root is simply forget the promises that God gives us. And we forget the, God, the promise that God gives us. It gets us off the rails of living the way that he knows that we can live and we forget them and it just takes us off the rails. So that's one way that they let fear take root is they forgot the promise. Here's the second way, if you're taking notes, is this, is that they also lost perspective. They lost perspective. So we're gonna read here for a bit. 
Go to uh, chapter 14. We're gonna read a big chunk here. Verse one, here's what it says. It says, all right, so again, they're spreading rumors. The dudes are spreading rumors and they started believing. Here's what happened. It says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, hey, listen, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord's pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. <clears throat> now, in here, I want us to notice a few things. I want us to notice where it's in chapter 14, where it says the whole community or the whole assembly. It says that two times in verse one and verse 10. And then also in verse four, where it says they said to each other, Gang, right here, what we just saw is the group mentality. And it's so dangerous and it can really take over. And it's, it's, it's this flywheel of doubt that just spreads and spreads and it can be one of the most dangerous things that happen. Gang, listen, that's where cults come from. That's where like really bad things come from. That's where mass shootings and all that kind of crazy stuff comes from. Because, and I'm gonna prove it to you. Look at what it drove this group to do. They wanted to stone Moses to death. Like that's where this took them. And, and all they were doing, all Moses and Aaron were trying to do was trying to reinforce the truth that they already knew. They're like, God said that you just saw this, but they were already, see, they were already in this building up of this group mentality and it was being perpetuated by the emotional reaction of nine guys, just nine guys who started a story and, they, and, and the people ended up believing rumors instead of having the perspective that God wanted them to have and that they already knew, gang. And here's what I'm here to tell you. It ain't so hard to do. It's, it's an easy thing. It's, it's easy to let our curiosity be seized and influenced by the crowd, isn't it? We gotta be real careful there. And, and, and because a group mentality is really persuasive. It's really, really persuasive. And it can really work against what you know is true, especially when it's hitting on fear. Again, especially when it's hitting off here, because all you gotta do is say the magic words. All you gotta do, hey, they're taking our freedom. Hey, so stock market's crashing. Hey, climate's changing. And there are people that seize that and we eat it up. We eat it up, everybody, and they know it. They know it. And I hate to tell you this, I don't, I don't wanna get on a soapbox or anything, but they don't do it because they believe in the cause as much as they know what sells. You know that, right, everybody? Like they're doing it because they know what's up. We can't be swayed by that. We can't let that sway what we know is true. We cannot lose our perspective 
on what God has already promised, gang. What's our perspective? That God is in control. Amen, everybody? He's over it all. He wins, he reigns supreme, and we look to him and not the crowd. That's what we do. And, and yes, you know, being knowledgeable is okay. Getting, being up to date on current stuff is okay. Know what's happening. Be on social media, go for it. But, but here's the thing. If you don't keep that in balance with God's word and his promises and what we know is true in this present time, you're gonna get swayed off. If you don't keep that in balance, so you're gonna get you're gonna get out of whack with what, and you're gonna end up letting your soul lose perspective on what you know the promises of God are in your life. And so they they let fear take root. They let fear take root. So they forgot God's promises, and they allow the group mentality to lose their perspective on things. And here's what happens. Here's what happens. Just as a rule, those two things. This is the consequence. They got stuck there for 40 years. God was ready to give them the land and they doubted and they didn't trust God. And so God said, okay, I don't know what to do. And they had to wait for 40 years. And here's the thing, they had to experience all kinds. They had to go through all kinds of junk. In fact, for the next couple books, you're gonna read all the stuff that they had to go through and they didn't even need to go through that. So, so here's the thing. And it's all because they let the spirit of fear take over the truth that they knew. So, Here's the thing. Now, in the Bible, why it's so important to read and, and understand some things. In the Bible, here, here, as you study and as you read, uh, here's what you're gonna come across. You're gonna come across two ways that God is communicating with us. This is really important to understand, okay? You're gonna come across uh, things that are prescriptive and things that are descriptive. And it's really important to understand the difference. See, when you read something that is prescriptive in the Bible, that means it's something that needs to happen, that's gonna happen, and you can't stop it from happening, that it's prescriptive, okay? But then when you read something that's descriptive, see, what it's doing is just describing something that happens. And, and here's what I wanna put forward with you today. You gotta know the difference. You, you've gotta know the difference. See, because when I come across something that's descriptive, Here's where I wanna go, everybody. I want, a, I want the kind of faith that looks at it and sees it and then goes, hey, you know what? What happens to them does not have to happen to me. What they went through, I don't have to go through. That doesn't have to take me down the same route because I've read my Bible. Like I'm in the presence of God. I know the promises and so now I know the traps and I understand the power and presence of God that, that as the Holy Spirit is in me, see, I can change my thinking. I can change my behavior. So what happened to them does not have to happen with me. And I'm here to tell you, I think there are a lot more Christians that need to take that posture and position instead of laying down and just taking what doesn't have to happen to you. Amen, everybody? So many of us do that and we don't need to do that, when, especially when something is just describing something that happens. So here's the deal. Here's what I want to do with the rest of our time. As a Christian, you have an answer to fear and uncertainty. You have an answer to that. And so what do you do? Here's, here's, here's what we're gonna do. What do you do when fear starts to tighten its grip on you? Three things, three things that I got. And it's three things that I do with my fears and they're simple, but I'm telling you, they work, okay? So if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that we do is that I gotta face the fear. I've got to face my fear. So here's what I mean by that. You have to face it and name it and be accurate about it with whatever it is. You can't hide from it. And gang, that's unfortunately what so many people do and they think that's the right thing to do is like act like it's not there. And, and cause, so here's what I want to say and this is why I think people do it. See, having fears does not mean you have weak faith. 
Those are not like apples and apples. Having fear isn't weak faith. It's not. Do you know what weak faith is? It's just not acknowledging the fear even though it's there. That's what weakens your faith, everybody. And so you name it. You gotta say, here's what it is. I face and I tell God, like, I know, I see, help me if I don't see what it is. And I tell myself, hey, it ain't gonna go away by just hiding away and burying my head in the sand. And then here's the next thing you do to face it. You tell somebody else. You tell somebody else who could pray for you and, and, and talk about it with you. Because I'll tell you, the second, here's what happens. The second you tell somebody and they start praying, that fear loses power immediately. Amen, anybody out there? It happens. And so you do that and, and you let them. And then the other thing for me, uh, especially for me, uh, when I bring a rational person in, boy, it really helps me a lot because, boy, I go to silly places with the fears in my life. I don't know about you. And they, they help me with that. So that's the first thing we do. We gotta face our fear. Here's the second thing that we do. I've got to know God's promises. I gotta know God's promises. So when I face the fear, it's still there. But then the second thing I do, I gotta trust that God is gonna come through on every promise that he's ever made. Now, in order to do this though, everybody, you gotta know the promises that God has. You gotta know what the promises. So let's just talk a little bit here. Let's talk about, it. I made some lists here. Does God promise health? No. Does he promise never being uncomfortable financially? Nope. He doesn't. Does he promise that you will live to be 100 years old and die an old person? No. Does he promise you won't be affected by other people's sin? Unfortunately, no. Does he promise to give you anything that you want? No. Does he promise to give you what you need? Absolutely. Absolutely. Does he promise an eternity with him where there is no more pain, no more heartache, no more hardship? Absolutely. But it ain't here, everybody. This ain't the place where that promise comes through. Does he promise that nothing can separate me from him as long as I'm in Christ? You better believe it. You better believe it. Does he promise grace and forgiveness and victory over death? Yeah. And there are tons more tons more promises that are contained in his word and his great love for us. And so we have to see what the Bible says. And more importantly, we have to know what it does not say when it comes to the promises of God. What I see happen so many times, I think we get a little messed up because we think we know what it says when it's not what it says at all. Like I think we get confused over what God's promises to provide and what we think can make us happy. And then when there's no job, we get like really mixed up with it, okay? We get a little frustrated, but we have to know and understand the promises of God. And so we gotta face the fear. We gotta know the promises. And here's the third thing that we gotta do. I gotta replace fear with God's presence. And I know this is really simple. I'm gonna explain this just for a second. But we gotta replace the fear with God's presence. So, and I've said this before, like, God's presence is always true. He's always present. But because he's present doesn't mean we are in his presence, everybody. Like we gotta get ourselves in to his presence. We gotta spend time. So we, I think so many of us just think that, that we have it or, or what. You gotta get in there. You gotta come to him. You gotta talk to him. You gotta communicate with him. And so we, we gotta get in the presence of God. And here's what I'm gonna tell you. You stay there until your perspective changes. You hear me? You stay there until your perspective changes. We seek until, we stay until. I think what so many of us do, here's what I think we do. I think we stare at our fear and we only kind of have a glimpse of God. It's gotta be the opposite, everybody. You gotta stare at God until that fear goes away and it's replaced with the freedom that he could bring. And then here's what you gotta realize. You gotta realize that as you seek, 
that the fear is gonna keep coming back and that's okay, it doesn't mean you've lost it. That's just what it does. And it does it over and over again and you stay there until God's presence can replace your fear. And, and here's why I know that that keeps popping up. It happens all the time to me and it happened all the time to the disciples. Jesus told us this over and over again. And I love when you go in and read about what Jesus did with the disciples because here's the thing. When the disciples were with Jesus, with Jesus, God in the flesh, they hit the panic button all the time. It makes me feel a little better about myself to be honest with you, okay? Uh, just, as they, just to roll through this really quick. So they, they, the, one of the first times they did, they were in this boat. And a big storm hit and, you know, they freaked out. They freaked, they were like, we're gonna die, we're gonna die. And, you know, we know the story of Jesus is sleeping, right? And he's like, help us. And he goes, okay, fear not. And he calms the storm. And then they're all like, oh my gosh, this is, this is awesome. And so uh, they see that and, and, and their fear gets replaced, right? And then just not too long after that, uh, he sends them out. He sends them out in pairs to go tell them the good news and to talk about it and heal and all these things. And here's what he tells them. He goes, hey, listen, uh, you're gonna get beat up. You're gonna get beat up and, and people are gonna do some stuff to you. They're gonna be against you, but don't be afraid. And, and they actually weren't. They actually were like, yeah, we got Jesus on our side. And so they didn't let fear take over. They, for a while, they replaced fear, okay? Uh, but it wasn't long. It wasn't long before it came back in, before it back in. And Jesus helps them again with fear because he knows how it works, everybody. He knows how it works with us. And so a few chapters later, here's what we find him do. So this is right after uh, Jesus feeds like thousands and thousands of people, right? With just a few fish and a few loaves of bread. It's like a miracle, miracle. They see it again. So they get on the boat and they're like, come on, Jesus. And he's like, you know what? You guys go. I'll, I'm gonna walk around and be with my heavenly father. I'll meet you on the other side, right? So you know this story. So they're paddling there and Jesus decides, he's like, you know what? I'm just gonna meet him. And he walks on water and goes towards them. And so, so he goes up to the water. Here's what happens. This is what happens happens so it says when the disciples saw him walk on the water they were terrified in their fear they cried out it's a ghost to which Jesus said really guys like come on I mean how many times do I have to do this over and over again no he doesn't do that that's not what he does it's all with grace and love in understanding that this is not a one-off deal with fear, here's what he says. I love it. It says, Jesus spoke to them at once, right away. He goes, hey, don't be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. I'm here. I love that about our Savior. I love his patience when, when we're facing fear. You know, here's the thing about these guys, these disciples. They didn't become totally fearless until way down the road, way down the road. And I don't know, for me, when I think about the fears I face and the defeat that wants to come into my sort of periphery and sometimes how I feel about that, it just gives me a little comfort that maybe I'm not doing something wrong. You know what I'm saying, everybody? I'm not doing something wrong. It helps me find victory uh, more than looking at defeat and, and just to know that this is how it works. This is how it works. And, and so when fear comes creeping back in, I know I've got a savior who just sits there and says, take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. Isn't that great? It's so comforting to know that that's who Jesus is. Amen, everybody? I love that. So I keep seeking God until. I stay in his presence and, until I can replace that with freedom and get rid of the fear that goes in. There is a place that you could be as you follow him where you can have fearlessness in the face of fear. That with Jesus who says, take heart, take courage, it's me, stand firm, look at it in the eye because I'm with you and I'm not going anywhere. We can actually have victory in our circumstances instead of defeat. And he's saying, don't, I love this. I just feel like him saying, don't let it beat you. 
Don't let it be you because I'm here. And here's what I know. Here's what I know. Fear is a big one. Right, everybody? It's a big one. And it's not easy. It's not easy to root it out. It's easy to let it take root. But we need to know that the ability to overcome isn't just possible, but it is a truth and reality that we can have as followers of Christ. Amen, everybody? Because we can look at God and take his word. And we bring his promises and truth in. And that's what we fight fear with. That's what we fight fear with. Let's pray. God, I, I, I hate to say this, but it's easy for me to preach on fear because I've gone through so much in my life. It's like an emotional thing for me because I know what I've been through. You know what I've been through. And, and Lord, here's the thing. I know that I am not alone in that. We all face it. And, and oh, just knowing your truth, is, I just feel like it's pouring onto me, pouring onto me, like with this comfort of your grace and love and forgiveness and understanding and your presence and your promises that are true and real, and that I have an awesome Savior who doesn't just say, come on, really, Andy? He, who just stands right by me and says, take heart, take courage. It's me. I'm right here again and again and again, and so that I can stand up and not allow these things to take root, but I can have victory in Christ. Lord, I pray this over anybody right here this morning who needs to hear this. You know, we've been singing, we were singing about fear and it just hit me this morning and, and I think it probably hit somebody else out there that, that we can look at this dead in the eye with all the courage that you give us and we say, I will not let it beat me, that I have victory in Christ and we can just claim that in the name of Jesus. Thank you so much, Jesus, that you give this to us. And we just pray for that victory in his name and for the rest of the day. Amen, amen. All right, everybody, I hope it's been a great Sunday. We'll see you next time or week 13.